Please help me welcome J. Lauren Norris. You know that sense of dread that comes over you when you're in the third game of the season and all of a sudden your superstar goes down with a, I don't know, a torn ACL, a bad ankle, and you're thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, I had so much riding on this season, even if it's just the emotional high of having a winning season. And now the superstar is out, and it looks like they're out for the season. What now? You ever wonder if maybe your boss kind of has the same feeling when they look down the row and they see you and realize you've got too many distractions on your plate, and they're thinking, my superstar might be out for the season. What I want to talk about today is who is your backup? Who's your second string? Today on Leading Leaders. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast. And I can tell you there are a whole lot of managers, leaders, supervisors, bosses who are terrified. I listened to one just recently, a conversation that he had with his team, and one of his team members said, do you remember the day you walked into the office, big staff meeting, we were going through P&Ls, and every division had to answer for their budget and what they did last year and what was coming in the next year, and before you even said hello, or what's going on, or how are we doing, or how do you feel about the weekend, or who, who won on your favorite team, you looked at all of us and said, if you weren't sitting in that chair, who would be? If you weren't sitting in that chair, who would be? That's a tough question. If you weren't doing what you're doing right now, who would be filling the gap? Who would be in your shoes? Let me ask a better question, because this is really the tougher question of leadership. Have you set aside enough time, compassion, concern, wisdom, to impart as much as you possibly can into preparing that individual that you've selected to fill your spot. I mean, can you imagine if an NFL team lost their quarterback the third game of the season and they just picked any random person standing on the sideline, or better yet, any random person in the bench, any random person in the in the press box or in the first row of seats and said, hey, it's you, come throw the ball. Well, that'd be a disaster. Now, that person would probably get hurt very quickly, first off. But second off, what are the odds that you have a winning combination when all these team members have trained together? They've had the expectation that, well, that person's going to throw the ball like this and hand it off like that and step like this and turn like that. And they're fast on their feet or they're not fast on their feet, but they're hard to tackle. I mean, all of these expectations that your superstar has already set in place Well, they have to be met or matched or adjusted from if the person filling their shoes doesn't have the same attributes. What if your backup quarterback runs like a freight train but can't throw the ball to save his life? Your whole game plan gets changed. If they have no accuracy but they have great feet, maybe they should have been a running back instead of a quarterback. But if that's your backup, and I know in in the history that I've been watching the Dallas Cowboys, There are a number of people who currently play wide receiver or in the past have played wide receiver in the NFL that in their college days, they were a quarterback. So they understand all the routes and all the difficulties of getting a ball there, et cetera, et cetera. But they're like also the third string, maybe fourth string backup quarterback. If something goes wrong, 
Your wide receiver steps in behind the, the center and your whole game changes. But how well have you, as a leader, prepared that person for that inevitable moment? An injury, an incident, a crisis, a pandemic. You get that call that says, hey, you tested, you need to stay at home by yourself in a quiet room for a while. Who does your job while you're out? Who's going to step up and take over those staff meetings and those client negotiations and those resolving of problems that have always been your bailiwick? <clears throat> Who did you choose? Who did you groom? Who did you prepare to do that job when you're not able? See, it's all on you to do that. Have you given them insights and access to knowledge that you have that perhaps nobody else has because it's a closely guarded secret? Do they know where the key to the desk drawer is that holds the PL or the, the passwords for all the major accounts? If you haven't prepared somebody for that, whether it's your executive director or your executive assistant, if there's nobody capable and competent to step into that role when you're out of it, guess whose fault that is? Yep, it's all on you. And let me just tell you, the board isn't looking for anybody else on the team to blame for that. There's nobody that the executive board or the shareholders or the stakeholders, there's, there's nobody else who looks at that problem and says, oh, well, let's disseminate the guilt for the failure on this aspect. No, they're looking at you and you alone. You're the only one they're going to blame. And they're going to start to ask some questions like, was it a fear that they were going to take your job? Is that what kept you from training somebody else? So was it was it incompetence on your part, the inability to pass on this information in a way that somebody else could do it? I listened to John Maxwell this morning just talking about <clears throat> the fact that he's always been an, an action taker, a go-getter, a get-it-done-now kind of a person, not a let's wait around and see what happens kind of a person. And I kind of have the same problem. I also have the problem that I feel like most of the time it's easier for me to just get it done than to take the time to train somebody else to do it. It takes longer to train somebody else to do it. And it's costlier if you're training them and they mess something up. It's easy to just do it yourself and be done with it. Nobody cares that that's your personality quirk. Nobody cares that that's your trait. John says, I have a tendency to run ahead and then I have to come back and scoop people up and bring them along with me because they're not keeping up because I'm moving too fast. He said, the problem is sometimes I come back to scoop them up and let them catch up and I find they're still not ready. And so I go on without them again. He said, there's a, a point where you get so far ahead of the team you're leading that nobody on the team can keep up or catch up. And then you're not leading. You're going it alone with a whole lot of people watching. Well, that's a problem. It's the same kind of problem when you extend that desire to do it all yourself, that self-control or lack thereof that says, if I don't touch it, it won't be done right. It takes longer to train somebody than to do it myself. I, I can't take a chance that they'll mess it up because we only get one chance at this. When that personality trait comes into your leadership quality and prevents you from training your replacement, you've created a different set of problems. Not only that if something happens to you, there's nobody else to carry the ball. There's nobody else to step into that role. Nobody's been trained for it or equipped for it or prepared for it. It's not just about the organization not being able to move forward in your absence, whether temporary or permanent. It also 
becomes your own limit. Think about it this way. How many times have you had an opportunity to move on? And maybe not to leave the organization that you're in, but to move up to a new position. And while the window of opportunity was there, sometimes those windows close quickly. The first question that anybody asked was, if I promote you, who do I put in your spot? And your answer is, well, there's not really anybody who can do what I do. You did not make yourself indispensable for the promotion. You made yourself indispensable for the permanent placement of the job you have now. That doesn't sound like a really good long-range plan. You've got to prepare the person behind you, next to you, the one who's competent and capable and willing to take on the job that you have right now. You've got to equip them in every way that you can. I, again, I have to go back to the, the old adage of the CEO and the COO when they're arguing about spending so much money training people. And one of them says, what if we train these people and they become really, really good and then they go work for our competitor or start their own, their own business and compete with us? I mean, what if we train them really good and they leave? To which the other replied, well, what if we don't train them at all and they stay? Basically, it's a rhetorical question, but the answer is you got a bunch of dummies that don't know how to do the job now because you have refused to train them out of fear that they're going to leave. If you're the kind of leader, the kind of manager who refuses to train the people beneath you for, out of fear they're going to take your job or out of the insecurities that you can do it better or that you can do it in less time or that you don't want them to make a mistake, then you're going to find yourself always in that job. You've created your own lid. You've squelched your own future. You've pulled the plug on your own opportunities. I mean, if that opportunity window comes for you to take the next promotion and move on in the organization, but you can't replace your leader, you can't replace yourself with a new leader, you're not going anywhere. They can't afford to move you because everything you're doing would fall apart, and that's on you. Well, think about it one more step. What if, what if the opportunity of a lifetime came, and I meant leaving the organization, but you're staying in the same industry or a similar industry? See, the, the biggest commodity that every leader has is their reputation. You listen about coaches like Lou Holtz or, or John Wooden. You listen to the impact that they had in the teams that they took over and coached back to success. Lou Holtz had five teams that went to championships after coming into a team that was an absolute train wreck. If you were the kind of person as a leader that can come in and turn a company around, turn things around, give them an opportunity to succeed again, that's a great reputation. That's the kind of reputation you want to have and the kind of reputation that you want to follow you. But if you're the kind of leader who as a leader or manager, doesn't prepare someone to fill your shoes when you're gone. That's a whole different kind of reputation. That is not the kind of reputation you want following you around. You don't want to be given an opportunity of a lifetime and then have somebody do the research and say, this person is incredible, look at everything they've accomplished, but they tend to leave a basket case when they go because they carry everything on their shoulders and without them, the organization doesn't run. And everywhere they've left, every new opportunity has seen a great boost in productivity and success and accomplishment while they're on the team. And then when they leave, when they move on, when they get an opportunity for advancement, when they get a new opportunity to do their own thing, what they leave behind is a train wreck. That is not a reputation you want to be following you around.
but it will if you don't take the time to prepare the people who are your leadership second string. You've got to identify those people who have the right credentials, who have the right credibility, who have the right character. You've got to prepare them in that space. Share with them the business plans. Ask them the tough questions. If this was your decision, how would you make it? If you were hiring or firing in this capacity, who would you hire and who would you fire and why? If you were responsible for developing a new product or a new market line or a new set of income goals, what would you base those off of? How would you build that? See, these are not just things that you dictate to your second string because when you're gone, they're not going to have your dictation. These are things you've got to ask the questions of your second string to say, if I wasn't here and the big bosses came down and said, hey, what's your budget for next year? Do you know where to find what I've already been doing? And if they were to say, hey, we like what you've got there, but let's tighten it up by 10%, do you have enough insight into the budget to know how to adjust and where? Can you raise income in certain areas where you've been really kind of bashful about what our possibilities are? Are there areas where you've been a little generous, a little hefty on what the expenses will be when you're pretty confident they can come down a little bit? Could you take 2% from here and 3% from there to come up with that 10% difference? See, these are the kind of skill sets that, well, frankly, you should have as a leader, but you've got to make sure that the next person behind you has that skill set as well. Don't just train them in your weaknesses. Make sure that you challenge them and test them in your strengths as well. If you don't test them in your strengths, then you've got a whole different thing. You also should be intentional about introducing them to the people at the table that you answer to. If you, on a regular basis, have to meet with outside vendors or collaborative companies or people on the board or major investors or bankers or product vendors, you should invite these second string people into that meeting. They need to get to know them as well. They need to understand their personality quirks and their characteristics and those, well, that's not really what he meant. We'll talk about that after. Those are necessary. And sometimes the greatest skill of the leader is the observation of those that you have to deal with, the observation of your clients, your highest paying clients. What kind of quirks do they have? What kind of questions do they ask that are rhetorical or they're gotcha questions? Or what kind of questions do they ask just to see if you know? I'm going to give you a strange example. When I, when I first joined the Air Force, <clears throat> every firefighter that came into this particular base, within about two or three days, they were asked by somebody in the fire department to go down to the maintenance hangar and tell them they need 150 feet of flight line. And inevitably, that person would run off with a bucket and come back with an empty bucket. They almost never came back with 150 feet of flight line. Why? Because flight line isn't a thing. It's a place. Flight line isn't a thing. It's a place. Now, the game that they're playing on this individual should be pretty clear to anybody with a little bit of common sense, but it's not. Because if you didn't come back with flight line, they'd say, well, then if they're out of flight line, ask them if they've got some prop wash. We need to wash our trucks. Again, Prop wash is a thing, but it's not a thing that you wash a truck with. Prop wash is the air that moves behind the propeller while the plane is flying, and most jets don't have that. They have jet wash. 
So, how many times have you found yourself in a place where you just didn't know that it was the personality quirk of your customer, of your board member, of your superior, to ask for things like prop wash or flight line? They know you can't deliver on that promise. They're asking something of you to test your common sense and your courage and your willingness to engage in a conversation that may be nonsensical. They're really testing the who that you are. And if you've got the skill set to deal with that, good on you. But chances are you're going to learn that over time, not something that you picked up in a book. You're going to learn in dealing with that individual. Now, your second string person needs to know that as well. See, if you, if you think back to, again, to the NFL analogy, that second string quarterback may honestly sit on the sideline the entire year and only see a few game time snaps, if you will, if there's an injury or the score is so lopsided that it's irrelevant whether the superstar is on the field or not. Or they may get some game time scrimmage type exercises, but for the most part, what they're going to get is film and practice. Film and practice. Film tells you what the opponent looks like and gives you a chance to kind of game plan in your own head. What would it look like if I was coming up with this plan? How would I oppose that play? What do I see the superstar doing that makes them the superstar when that play comes up? When the opponent does this, he does that. That's a good thing to know. Your second string leadership team should be doing exactly the same thing, reviewing the tape, asking the questions, engaging in every area of practice that they can. They should be writing their own budgets, not your budget, not just previewing and reviewing your budget, but writing their own. You should be able to lay theirs next year's and see that there's not a whole lot of difference. Their ability to analyze and properly construct a budget based on the information that's available is spot on. If they don't have that skill set, they probably shouldn't be your second string. If they were to listen in on or sit in on, because you've taken them to some of these high-level board meetings, if they did nothing but listen, they had no words at all, they just listened and took notes. <clears throat> Could you later say to them, did you notice when so-and-so tested me with the silliness questions? How would you have responded to that? What did you write down in your journal when you saw that happen? How did you feel emotionally about that? Were you triggered? Were you frustrated? Were you annoyed? Did you feel disrespected? Because all of those things are very plausible and all of those things are very possible. And if your second string isn't dealing with those questions now, when they're called to the game, they're going to fail. And guess whose fault that will be? That'll be you. That'd be you because you're the leader. You're the one who's supposed to be preparing them and training them. Oh, sure, you've got a team of coaches around you. You've got people from accounting who will answer those tough questions and those people from legal who will tell them whether they can get away with that or not. And those people in customer services who can probably tell you more about the idiosyncrasies of your highest paying clients than anybody else because they're the ones that get to feel all the frustrated calls. If your second string leader doesn't have access to that data, to that information, to those relationships, that's your failure as a leader. You've got to give it to them. You've got to give them access. You've got to give them opportunity. Step aside and give them some game time play. Let them see what it's really like to get hit in the nose. That's what's going to change your backup. And when you have done all this work to prepare them emotionally, relationally, character-wise, you've put them in the toughest spots and tested the metal of who they are. 
You've given them the chance to write the budget, to grill themselves and you on what should be next. What's the next course of action? What's the next plan? Once you've done all those things and you have prepared yourself in the event of an injury or an incident or an accident, you've prepared yourself if there was another promotion opportunity within the organization, you prepared yourself should the dream job of a lifetime come along that you can step out, step aside, move on, move up to your new adventure and not tarnish your reputation when you do. If you're not thinking right now about your second string, you're a little bit late already. Get busy asking who and then grooming them to be able to do what you do, perhaps even better. And don't be afraid at all if they step up beside you and perform better than you. That just means you've got a great backup and it will be great on your reputation when it's time to move on, whether it's by your choice or not. No one will look at you and go, well, in the last job they failed. No, in the last job they raised up a leader so stellar they had to move on. That's not a bad reputation to be following you around. Take the time though, raise up your second string, make sure they're ready, make sure they're ready for battle. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast for Tell It Like It Is TV. Have a blessed day. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom. In 18, that I was praying, God, you know, he just needs this thing broken in his life. He's become involved in that class. And there's real spiritual change and real physical change happening in this guy's life. Today on Transforming Grace TV. Succumb to addiction, and I would succumb to pornography. And the residual effect of that in my life and my children and my household and my other relationships, mind-boggling, and yet I knew there was a call in my life. And I think that tension is what pulls men apart in the churches, and, and it pulls families apart. It, that, to me, is heartbreaking. My opinion, too, is that uh, the body of Christ has a tendency to crucify our wounded. Transforming Grace TV passionately reveals hope in broken relationships. Stay tuned. Experience God's transforming grace.